You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, bludgeoned and bruised from a day of homework. And when I say homework, I don't mean elementary school homework. I mean working on my home. You know, it used to be I was so exhausted from the work week. And now the last couple of weeks doing all this home improvement stuff at home, I am just, oh my gosh, I am Charlie Horse in every bone of my body, but glad to be back with you. And it is early in the morning, Monday morning, January 15th. Normally I do the podcast later in the day, but I, re- I know I owe you guys a lot of information. I've been a little MIA the last couple days, although we have produced a lot of content here at CR, but in since then... Everything has blown up, and I wanted to talk to you about Iran and how Trump's continuing the Iran deal and the spending bill that they're increasing non-defense spending by $95 billion, and they're reauthorizing S-CHIP when they already are continuing Obamacare and the Medicaid expansion. There's a lot of things to talk about, tons of things, in fact. Jared Kushner, um, I warned you before, He is pushing very hard on jailbreak, the so-called criminal justice deform. And I hope to do an extra podcast this week, and I know I still have to get to my, at least begin the series on Meet the Candidates that we promised. So there's a lot going on, and you're going to want to make sure you don't miss a single article. You could subscribe to our emails at CR, CRTV. But I have to come back to immigration. Now, as you guys know, as you guys know, I normally stay away from the soap operas. We focus here on the issues that matter. We focus on the specifics going on that you won't hear anywhere else, both on the political side, the policy side, and tied into broad first principles. Except when it comes to what happened last Thursday, Or possibly what didn't happen. Because we don't know if Trump said, we bring in a lot of people from blank hole countries. You know, it's hard to say say it over over the air here. Although, you know, we're not obviously not regulated by the FCC. I could say the word, but I certainly don't want to. So we're just going to say blank hole countries. Dump hole, dung hole countries. So we don't even know if Trump said that. But ironically... I'm going to do a show about something he might not have said because the reaction to it brings out something very important and reveals this discord between the average American and the political elite. And I've said this for years when it comes to the issue of immigration and several others, but particularly immigration, even your average Democrat, but non hack voter is to the right of where even your conservative DC professional conservative type is. So suddenly every single, and I'm I'm not even talking about the liberals here. I'm talking about, and you know what I'm talking about. 
you know, some of them are even colleagues of mine. Oh, the virtue signaling. How terrible. We're a nation of immigrants and people are fleeing these places to come and share in the American experience. They are literally clueless about our history, values, laws, principles on immigration and and the purpose of immigration and the purpose of having representatives to represent us. It's amazing how... You know, you could insult Americans. We have anyone who reads my writings, they'll see we have emergencies. My Friday piece based on a DHS independent inspector general's report saying that we have a major vetting problem that ICE has released in totality 2.37 million illegal aliens supposedly under supervision. But most of them pretty much disappear because there's one ICE agent per 10,000 and many offices 10,000 released so there's no way they could keep track of them many of them have ties to terrorists uh, there's over 330,000 known criminal aliens among them and obviously as the report noted sanctuary cities make it even worse but there's no vetting fix there's no refugee fix there's no asylum fix it's all daca 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 and what what's happening here with trump Picture this analogy. Indulge me here in this analogy. Picture you have a raging fire and there's people trapped inside. And there's a whole hullabaloo outside and people are shouting, suggesting, we, we, we do this, we do that, don't do this, don't do that. And anytime someone tries to offer something, do something, the crowd blocks their way. They block them from doing it. They sit there with utter disregard for the situation, for the danger, and refuse to do anything about it, and actually actively stop the few people who want to do something about it. In comes a guy, rides in on his motorcycle, gets off, really shabby and crude type of guy, spits some tobacco on the ground, curses up a storm, you know, drops his pants and defecates, whatever. But then he's like, what the blank is going on here? Let's just get the hose and put the blank and blanket thing out. And everyone's like, appalled, what a crude man. Oh, how terrible. But the guy actually at least tries to put the fire out. And that's where we stand now. I'm sick of these people. They don't care about the problems that have arisen from making America a blank hole. See, the issue here isn't so much the countries of origin, although as we're going to talk about today, it does definitely tie in as a contributing factor. The, The main point is that collectively, through all the facets of immigration that we've been doing in a way that doesn't reflect the best best benefits for America... It has turned our country into a blank hole. That's the bigger issue here. And here you have someone who's at least asking the questions. Why? Why are we giving money to the PLO? Why are we giving money to Pakistan and other people who hate us? And why do we bring in so many people to our country that don't benefit the country? Whether it's fiscally, whether it's culturally, and whether it's you know the criminals and certainly terrorists. Why? He's asking the question, why? 
So now, again, I don't know if he said we bring in a bunch of people from blank holes like Haiti or something. Um, Senators Cotton and Purdue, who are pretty straight arrows, put out a statement saying he didn't say it. And what the White House suggests is that they were saying it about the diversity visa lottery, which makes even more sense. And that's the point. Context matters. Context matters. I want to talk to you, and I'm going to link to in show notes, Thomas Sowell's, um, Thomas Sowell, a couple of years ago, wrote a brilliant article on immigration about abstract immigrants. And he was making fun out of the elites, and including the so-called conservative elites, and their mentality about immigration, that they speak aspirationally about immigration in the abstract. But like liberals and conservative, and when I say conservatives, you know I'm saying it tongue-in-cheek. I mean the conservative pundits, writing writers, thumbsuckers. This is exactly what I mean, by the way, about a conservative thumbsucker. They they think in, in broad terms. Liberals think in broad, they don't look at the reality of what the world is. Conservatism is the study of the world as it is, not as you want it to be. Oh, immigration could be, and by the way, immigration could be very good if you make our reforms, but the way they want to keep it, they're ensuring that immigration does not work the way they say it's working. Oh, people coming to share in America, the hard workers, they're better than Americans and yada, yada. We can make it like that. Not under their policies. So let's unpack this here. Abstract immigrants, abstract immigrants. Context, context never matters. From where are they coming? Over what period of time? How many? Do we have a welfare state? Are they really assimilating? Don't don't talk about, oh, there was a time in history where immigration nostalgically worked really good for us. Wait a minute. But that's not working that way now, and there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. There's no context. Immigration is good. It's like saying, in in Thomas Sowell's article, he talks about it's like saying, shoes are good. We need shoes. What type? What size? In my book, In Stolen Sovereignty, by the way, still available at Amazon, I open up chapter seven by talking about fat and calories. It's like saying, it's like if someone would open up with a vacuous statement, Open-ended, fat and calories are good. Well, how how much? Over what period of time? What type? Saturated fat is bad. Trans fats are bad. Just ask Mike Bloomberg, you know? So, here's, here's, here's the problem. If, you, if you're concerned about, maybe, again, assuming he said it, Trump said the S word. Now, look, I'll be the first to tell you that our culture in general is coursing too much, too much cursing around. Heck, it's gotten to me even. Sometimes I have to make sure my wife doesn't listen to my recordings because, you know, I'd be embarrassed from them. But, you know, I certainly don't say that word. But let's face it, every president does. There's actually an article, if you Google it, thehill.com, Obama, I curse too much, something like that, where Obama admitted that, and, you know, Bush and Cheney had, Plenty of f bombs that were caught on on mic, you know. They say that. I mean, certainly in private meetings, they they talk like that. I, I wish it weren't the case, but I, I think we could admit that's not what's bothering you know the political class. Okay. Now I wish it would. I wish as a nation we wouldn't curse as much. But okay, so let let's put that aside. So now, okay, now you're saying he's he's being racist. 
either because they're suggesting was particularly bad Haiti and they happen to be black from there or, well, the blank hole countries are mainly people of color. And then some conservatives are saying, well, he's not a bigot against, it's nothing to do with race, but it's because he hates, he hates some um, poor people and that's just as bad. And there's a very simple thing going on here. They, they don't understand our values on immigration. Immigration is an elective policy. At this stage in our country's history, when we don't need to fill up the country anymore, we have, I'm not saying, you know, we, we're, we're like going to die of overpopulation. I'm just saying we're, we're not underpopulated like we were 120, 130 years ago when you could say we were still filling up as a nation state. Immigration was a very different concept. It's almost like you were still filling up your frontier. It's kind of like picture Israel right now. It's still relatively young. They started in 1948. It's, uh, you know, about 70 years old. So, you know, they have open-ended immigration, especially for someone who's Jewish. But, you know, they, they need to fill it up. And it's a tiny country. You could imagine America, such a vast frontier, you know, by 1882 to 1921 is a very different story than it is now. It's number one. Number two, we didn't have a welfare state. Number three, there was a very strong stigma against um, not becoming Americanized and not assimilating and certainly speaking the language. Now it's the exact opposite. We, we have a broken patriotic assimilation system. They're not assimilating into our political values, our culture, and even the language. We're going to get to some of this data. So this is broadly the problem. So... Immigration is an elective policy. You only, at, at, particularly at this stage, but it was really always our values. They were always very strict. And, you know, I go through this entire history in chapters four, five, six, and seven of my book. We go through this history. No, no one else has written this, in, at least in, in, in this era, and applied it to the time we live in. But the immigration trends are insane. The numbers are insane, particularly the numbers from the third world, the numbers from, from the Middle East, the lack of assimilation, the Islamic stuff, the fiscal burden. America, and then, and then the worst is the crime. And I'm going to be writing about that this week. My buddy John Lott, the famous author of More Guns, Less Crime, expert on guns and criminology, just you know, the study of criminology in general. He just came out with a new study, and he he uh, he DM'd me the other night. He's like, "Hey, take a look at this." I actually have not gotten a chance to read it. I read the abstract, and he found that illegals in Arizona are two and a half times more likely to commit crimes, and among the DACA-aged young illegals, it's it's like eightfold. It's insane. So America has become a dumping ground. Now, here's the important context. Is it per se about a country or particularly countries? No, it's a general problem that we don't have a merit-based system where we only bring in the best of the best, which is what we pretty much always strove to do. But certainly at this stage in our country, when you have a very big welfare um, magnet and you have anti-assimilation and all sorts of problems, and again, we don't need to fill up a country. We're, we're, we're a mature country now. That's what we should be doing. Everyone wants to come here. It's supply and demand. You know, 
over a billion people would come here if they can. So let's let's take our best pick. So we should have it under our system. We would have merit based point system and it would be open ended. it's not about race. It's not about a country. But here's the deal. It does matter in the macro sense. In broad numbers, you will see that. You will see that, and here's where context is important. There'd be one thing if 99% of our immigration was from Europe. And, you know, we had 1% from the third world, and Trump was like, why do we have so many people from these blank hole countries? We should have more people from Norway. Then it would be like, well, really? We really don't have that many. You must be you to you, you're racist. You don't like these people. You don't like poor people, whatever. But it's the opposite. As late as the 60s, 90% of our immigration was from Europe. Now 90% is not from Europe and mainly from third world countries and, and very much in recent years growing from Islamic third world countries. So they're the ones that are divorced from our history and traditions and going the other way, meaning they're, they're deliberately skewing our system towards Islamic or poorer countries. And it makes no sense. It makes no sense. You can't tell me all things equal that they're equal. Of course it's not. It's equal if you have a merit system. Look, if you're from El Salvador or Nepal and you, you know, we, we see you're going to love America, you're going to vote conservative, which, you know, when I say conservative, I don't mean the Republican Party, but you're going to appreciate constitutional values. You're going to be a net contributor, not a net taker, not going to be on welfare. Certainly you're not going to be a, a Sharia dude. Then, yeah, it doesn't matter if you're from Norway or from El Salvador. But there is, but here's the problem. The numbers speak volumes. And I wanted to go through the numbers with you. How, that it is a growing problem. When you have so many from these countries, it matters. See, what these people are saying is, Here's what the conservative thumbsuckers are saying. They're trying to put a conservative argument. No, we don't need these white, liberal, upper-class socialists from socialist countries. I'd rather take a, you know, I'd rather take a hard-working guy from Africa or Latin America that's hard work, you know, because, of course, no one else is hard-working. White people aren't hard-working. And um, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek, by the way. So... We're going to want them to come here because they're going to be with us. Dude, I, I got news for you. The welfare, education, English language skills, and voting patterns paints a very different picture. And the reality, and, and they're like, these are the people struggling and getting away. They come because they love it. It's not true. And again, when I say it's not true, I mean majorities. There are elements that are and and you're I'll get to that in a minute how you know under a merit based system it would just be broad based but under the current system the problem is it's the opposite everyone i know who comes from europe now there aren't too many european immigrants they they're conservative particularly eastern european ones i know um it's very potent in jewish communities because you see it stand out jews are overwhelmingly liberal and the only real you know conservative jews are traditional orthodox jews are politically conservative. If, 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 you know, reform or whatever, non-affiliated almost always are liberal. But among Russian Jews, Eastern European Jews that, you know, came after the fall of the Soviet Union in the 90s, 
they're flaming right wingers. Everyone I've met, um, even if they're not religious at all, it's in their nature. And, and, and the reason is they are wealthier. They're not coming for the welfare system. They're coming because they love America. And that's what happens with Western Europeans too. You're right. It's a socialist bastion. But a lot of the people coming now from Europe, because why would you leave? That's the point. Usually you migrate when things are pretty bad. If it's good, you're not going to migrate. So they actually do appreciate our values. And again, it is different when you're coming, you know, in 2017 from Western Europe 2017 to, you know, America 2017 versus coming from Somalia in 2017 to America 2017. The gap is much different. It's much different than coming from Italy and Poland and Czechoslovakia and Russia and wherever else in 1895 to 1895 America. Remember, there were a lot of poor people in America. America was a, a you know somewhat of a blank hole. Everything was a blank hole then. It was before the completion of the Industrial Revolution. So everyone was kind of poor. Everyone was more or less on an equal playing field. And you didn't have welfare. So they all came yearning to be free. Now, I, I don't even blame them. If you're poor, it matters if you're poor. Because we have a welfare state. See, if we didn't, then it would all come out equal. Yeah, you're coming. You're not going to be on welfare. And if you want welfare, you're not going to come. So therefore, if you're coming, you're coming for good reasons. That's not happening anymore on a large scale. Individuals, it does happen. So you can't tell me it doesn't matter. Oh, no, it's those people are coming for the right reason. We don't want socialists. Noah, it's not true. The numbers speak for themselves. Everything I'm going to tell you right now is from the census. From the American Community Survey, straight up from the census. Straight up. You know, it, it, it just, there are so many lies being told. It drives me nuts. Drives me nuts. No, what are you talking about? There's no difference. Of course there is. And again, you know, obviously there's something wrong with the Sharia stuff. There's something wrong with criminal aliens. There's something wrong with not assimilating into our values. But in terms of poverty, I have nothing against it. But why import poverty, especially when you have a welfare state? It's different when you're talking about immigrants versus natives. Because it's an elective policy. Of course we should immigrate up at this stage when, you, when we could get anyone we want. It's common sense. Everyone in the country knows that. So, you know, oh, Trump only wants wealthy people. I mean, that, that's what you would want for your country. Oh, he's going he's gonna to just throw out every poor person. No, we're not talking about. We're talking about bringing in new people. So, yeah, you're only going to bring in people that, I mean, just make sense. So here, here it is. This is from the most up-to-date census data. It's a you know, hat tip Stephen Camerata, amazingly brilliant guy. I talk to him all the time from our buddies at Center for Immigration Studies. He called all this data from American Community Survey. And look at this. Use of means-tested program by household head. Okay? Are you ready? Four of the top five countries, meaning four of the people from the four of these countries 
make it to the top five list of welfare usage among countries of origin of immigrants. Guess who they are? Honduras, Mexico, El Salvador, and Guatemala. Incidentally, those are the countries that send us illegal aliens. Isn't that interesting? 61% of all Honduran immigrant families, 61% are on on some form of welfare. 60% of Mexicans, 59.5% of El Salvadorans, and 56.8% of Guatemalans. Now let's look at Germans, German immigrants. Do you know what that number is? 9.6%. British immigrants, 16.5%. Now let me read you the breakdown of regions so you could see it. Again, Trump was saying we should have more people from Europe, less from the third world, and everyone gets all wee-weed up. Guess what? You're going to see a pattern consistently that with the exception of European immigrants and immigrants from South Asia, they are much more impoverished than Americans, higher welfare use, and then the assimilation is much slower. So both on the cultural side and on the fiscal side. And guess what? It's no coincidence that the only immigrants who vote Republican in this day and age are European ones, and the ones from Indochina, Vietnam, Cambodia, um, some other parts of Far East Asia, but not you know the Middle East part of Asia, not Africa, and not Latin America. Cuba, until fairly recently, because of Castro, was the one exception. Although now they're, you know, that Castro is not such a potent issue anymore, they're uh, kind of reverting back. So anyway, welfare usage: Mexico is sixty percent, Central America fifty four percent. Okay, so this is a percentage of immigrants that we have, the immigrant pool that we have that are on welfare. Middle East, 42%. Europe, 24%. And South Asia, 21%. The numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. These are census data. This is straight up from the census data. Let's see what else we have here. Language skills. Very important, language skills. What percentage of immigrants speak English, only English, very well? Speak English very well. Okay? The lowest four countries are Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico, and El Salvador. That's where we have the most immigrants from and the most illegal immigrants from. 29.5%, 29.5%, only 29.5% of Guatemalans speak English very well. And by the way, these are self-identified. So the interviewer for American Com- Community Survey asked them, are you proficient in English? And they'll say, yes. So I'm assuming the numbers aren't greater than this. If anything, the error would be on the other side. So they're roughly about 30%. Okay. German immigrants, 90.5% very well. Obviously, I'm not going to talk about Canada and UK. They're you know native English speakers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there you go. What about region? Mexico, again, only 31% speak very well. Only 34.6% of Central Americans. 
South Asia, okay, that's 48.4% speak very well. Europeans, 72.4%. The numbers don't lie. They just don't. What about education? Okay, what about what about education? So, you know, we 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 heard a lot about what do you mean people from Ghana, you know, or Nigeria, Nigeria, oh, they're so educated. Okay, you know, there's one or two countries that, that's fine. And and that a lot of that has to do with countries at the Western Horn. A lot of them, because of the colonization, they spoke English. Um, and they are more educated. But most other areas in Africa and Middle East and um you know, certainly Central America, Mexico, it's not the case. So you're right. I mean, South Asia and parts of West, the Western Horn of Africa and Europe are a different story. <laughs> that proves our point. So with education, once again, guess which four countries have the lowest educational attainment. Guatemala, Mexico, Honduras, and El Salvador. So... Let's look at the number that have, where is this? I'm just adding up numbers. Numbers that have less than a high school. Let's just look at less than a high school education. 56.5% of Guatemalans, 55% of Mexicans, roughly 50% from Honduras. Less than a high school education. Okay? Germans, 5.4%. Russia, 2.6%. Korea, 4.4%. Okay, you're, getting, you're, you're seeing a pattern here. You're seeing a pattern here. Just straight up. Straight up. I mean, this is so stark. You can't deny it. It's just a simple reality. And then, and then you know, I, I, put, I tweeted this at people because I was just so upset. There's one tweet that says it all. It's from the Pew Research. And this is, I I took this from my book. As of 2013, the median family income for immigrant families divided by region. Are you ready? From Europe, 66,600. From Mexico, 31,100. So that's less than half. Caribbean, 31,100. Africa, 34,800. Asia, 46,000. And obviously, that depends where you are. And Central South America, 37,000. It's almost double from Europe. So stop lying. Stop making things up and saying it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Of course it matters. You know, roughly 70% from El Salvador take one means-tested program. America is becoming a blank hole. This makes no sense. You, know, you look at English, the English language. The recent, sur- re- recent um, census data has revealed that 65.5 million residents, that's about one in five individuals, 21.6%, actually a little bit more, speak a language other than English at home. Okay. Now, when you look at the data, the numbers are even more jarring from particular states. In California, an unfathomable 44.6% of people 
speak English, speak a language other than English at home. That's almost half the state. That's insane. Texas, 35.6%. New Mexico, 34.5%. New Jersey, 317 New York, 31 Nevada, 30.7%. Florida, 28.8%. And on and on. Now look, while there's nothing inherently wrong with immigrants speaking a foreign language at home, and obviously it's bound to happen when you have any immigrant population, you know, a certain number of them are going to speak another language at home. But the sheer number is alarming because it's an indication that we have too much at once and we don't have enough assimilation. Over 26.1 million told census interviewers they speak English less than very well. And again, that's a, that's a subjective assessment. And in California, that's as high as 18.6%. So 1.5 people don't speak English well in the entire Golden State. But here's the kicker, folks. Here's the kicker. 18.7 million people in this country who are native-born adults speak a foreign language at home. So there's one thing you say, okay, well, you have the immigrant adult. They come here. They immigrate. And they'll speak another language at home while hopefully learning English, certainly proficiently enough that they can get around and hopefully they grow and um, you know, become more familiar with it over time and they use it outside the home at least. But two things happen. And two things have always happened in our history. The children always only spoke English, you know, unless they're speaking to their parents at home. And then certainly if you're an adult native born, then it's already next generation. Of course, you're speaking English. You probably wouldn't even know, know you're, um, you know, my, uh, my, my grandparents didn't even know German. Just, just you know, that, that's how it was. Everyone went to school. They learned, they learned English. That was it. Because the nature of our, our country was different. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. 18.7 million of those who speak foreign languages at home are native-born adults. So that means we're not just talking about immigrants or even the native-born children who speak English well, but you know you have to use another language to converse with their parents who are immigrants at home. This is nuts. According to the Migration Policy Institute, left-wing think tank, 77% of the millions of school-age ch children enrolled in limited English programs are native-born. See, that's another problem. Again, if you just say, you know, the number of people who speak English, uh, a foreign language at home, you could say, well, you know, maybe you have the kids are just speaking to their parents, but they know English very well. 77% of those, and it's a very substantial number, millions of kids enrolled in these ELL bilingual programs are native-born. And yes, they're from the blank holes. They're not from Norway and France. I could tell you that. That's, that's the reality. So numbers do matter. You can't be a sanctimonious virtue-signaling jerk and look me in the eye and say, there is no difference between bringing in Two, three, four hundred thousand people over a relatively short period of time from Somalia versus bringing in two, three hundred thousand people from Canada. 
or from Germany. You can't tell me there's no difference. Of course there's a difference. You see the difference in assimilation, in language proficiency, in education attainment, in poverty rates, in welfare usage. You see it straight up. Does it mean you can't have anyone from these places? Of course not. If you have your broad-based, merit-based system. So now, look, from El Salvador, here's how it goes. You'll have European countries where 5% of the immigrants will be on welfare. You'll have from El Salvador where 70% will be on welfare. Now notice, there's 30% who aren't. But that's the beauty of our system. If you have the merit-based, you're going to get, I don't care where you're coming from, you're going to enrich our culture, you're going to enrich our economy, and you're certainly not going to be a net fiscal drain. And then America won't be a blank hole anymore. And you can even come from a blank hole. Because you're coming to get away from it, not just coming for free stuff. So what they aspire to, and clearly doesn't happen now, we would actually have under our system that they oppose and think is racist. But yeah, you just have to be comfortable with the fact that No, 90% of our immigration will not be from the third world. It's going to be more oriented towards what it was before. I mean, not maybe it doesn't have to be nearly as much as it was in the 20s and 30s, but I mean, it has to be more balanced. This is obvious. Everyone said this. Harry Reid said this. Ted Kennedy said this. You know, I'm I'm running out of air here, and and there's, there's a lot more to say on this issue. I'm just really ticked off that there are so many of our people have bought in to this nonsense. Oh, you can't talk like that. Why not? Again, putting the profanity aside, I don't bless profanity, but that's that that's not the point here. No one's talking about that. It's the immigration aspect. Just why, why is there this protected class? I just don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. Let me, let, let me read this to you. Again, this is taken from my book. For, for, first, first, we're going to read from, uh, from Coolidge. Then I'll read to you from Madison and then from Theodore Sedgwick. So this is what Coolidge said. We have certain standards of life. We believe are best for us. We do not ask other nations to discard theirs, but we do wish to preserve ours. Standards, government and culture under our free institutions are not so much a matter of constitutions and laws as of public opinion, ways of thought and methods of life of the people. We reflect on no one in wanting immigrants who will be assimilated into our ways of thinking and living. Believing we can best serve the world in that way, we restrict immigration. Now he was what he, this is actually a mini op-ed he wrote in the Milwaukee Sentinel, I believe in 1930 in the closing years of his life. Might have been the final year of his life, forgetting when he, when he died. But President Coolidge penned this in 1930, you know, several years after the implementation of the 1924 bill. And he noted it was working well. And again, that was a time, that was after the Great Wave when 90% were, were European. They could never fathom what we've done. Now, this is from, from my book, Stolen Sovereignty. In a letter to an immigrant friend in 1813, 
Then-President Madison made it clear that they would always warmly welcome immigrants, quote, who are attached to our country by its natural and political advantages. Not because their country has a civil war and it's a hellhole and they want to get away from it. Or, or only because they want to get away from it. Not because they want to come here for welfare, for free stuff, because they love our political values. He was emphatic about his views that mass immigration as an end to itself beyond those with particular skills was not to be encouraged. Quote, I am obliged at the same time to say, as you will doubtless learn from others. Notice that. And in my book, I traced the similar comments from Hamilton, Jefferson, Washington. So <clears throat> they all shared that. That it is not either the provision of our laws or the practice of the government to give any encouragement to emigrants. In those days, they called them emigrants with an E in both directions, coming or going. They didn't have the word immigrate till like the 1870s. So we don't encourage it unless it be in cases where they may bring with them some special additions to our stock of arts or articles of culture. Look at that. So he said, what the heck? You just want people that are wealthy. to Well, what do you mean? I mean, and Madison said this in 1813 when the country was, what was our population, 15 million? You know, you can imagine they badly needed, and, you know, they had the frontier with the Indians. It was very dangerous. They needed more people. Um you know, that was, that was obvious, but yeah, it was obvious that they're like, we don't encourage immigration. And by the way, back then, back then, um, especially before the 1840s or so, you really didn't have passenger liners. You only had cargo ships. So people didn't come in mass numbers. So you, you would only have immigration if you invited it, meaning not inviting immigration through the State Department back then was the equivalent of restricting it. Now, you'll say, so then why didn't they just ban it? Again, because they didn't want to ban it. They wanted rugged individuals who came on their own and no one mollycoddling them to come here and produce. They wanted that. But provided, even before the economic and fiscal issue, that you share in our Republican values. This was purely obvious. I mean, it is just so patently obvious. I don't know how to say it any clearer. These people are so ignorant nowadays in the political class of our values. They just are. By the way, I was wrong. We didn't reach 15,000 until closer to 1840. This is more like 8,000, 50 million. We had more like 8 million people back then. And finally, I'm going to read to you from Theodore Sedgwick. He was a congressman and a senator during the founding era. And um, he was around during the 1790 Naturalization Act, the first immigration bill. And he said the following, The citizens of America prefer this country because it is to be preferred. The like principle he wished might be held by every man who came from Europe to reside here. But there was at least some grounds to fear the contrary. Their sensations impregnated with prejudices of education acquired under monarchical and aristocratical governments may deprive them of the zest for pure republicanism, which is necessary in order to taste its beneficence with that gratitude which we feel on the occasion. 
look at that. These are people of their same heritage that they were concerned about. You know, eh, this aristocratic mindset in Europe. They couldn't picture Butin, Nepal, El Salvador in, in massive, massive numbers. And then each country has massive numbers. You put it all together from the third world. It's one big giant, dare I say, blank hole. And that's the thing. You bring in three people of merit a month from these areas, you get people of merit leaving the blank hole to come to Republican America. But if you bring in large numbers from one of them, certainly 40, 50 countries in one year from blank holes, well, guess what? You're going to get the blank hole. <laughs> I mean, that that's the point. Now, mixed in will be some meritorious immigrants, but in large scales, that's what you're going to get. It's pure common sense. But yet we cannot have a mature discussion over this without racist, racist. So I'm going to link to the Thomas Sowell article where he talks about how they just talk about abstract immigrants and it applies to every one of these conservative thumbsuckers. We're about out of time. We have a lot we're going to go down with the budget sellout on the, on the spending, on the policies, on immigration, on Iran, you name it. Make CR your one-stop shop. I got to go get a drink here. Anyway, till next time, this has been another episode of Conservative Conscience.